Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello again. Welcome to the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. And here in the UK, we are in the midst of election fever. It's a fever because you don't want it. It gives you a headache and you just hope it's going to be over soon. But to win us over... And to stop us talking about Brexit, politicians are promising the world tax cuts, more police officers, free childcare, more money for schools, new hospitals. And that's just the Tories. Meanwhile, Labour is pledging free high speed broadband for everyone. So today we're going to look at the idea, not just of broadband, but also the idea that governments can spend more money if they want to. And the fact that they can, does that mean they should? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Now, as a side note, before we do start to uh, talk about broadband, one of Sajid Javid's proposals is to abolish inheritance tax, which is a complete turnaround for the Tories from the last election, because then they were proposing that old people in nursing homes should use some of their money, some of their money that will be inheritance. Uh, They should sell their family property to cover their care in the nursing home. So in other words, digging into their children's inheritance. And that didn't go down well. So now abolishing inheritance tax, which applies to currently any money you inherit over £325,000. That sounds like uh, getting rid of a tax on the rich, doesn't it? Even if it's applied after they've died. That's passing wealth from one generation to another uh, without any tax whatsoever. Passing money from the rich onto the youngster's who are going to continue to be rich, passing it on from one generation to the next, something which Britain is terribly good at. But enough on that. What about broadband? Boris Johnson is calling it communist broadband, the pledge by the UK Labour Party that if they are elected, they're going to deliver free high-speed broadband to everyone by 2030. But it's just one of many election pledges from both sides of the political spectrum, all offering us more than we have now without paying any more taxes. In fact, uh, Boris is saying he wants to spend more and cut taxes. So, Steve, I mean, you, you could argue that this is all fine, couldn't you? Because with modern monetary theory, governments can spend more, go into a budget p- deficit, pay for it with money created by the central bank, and you could keep on doing that, theoretically, till inflation becomes a problem. But as this is demonstrating, the fact that you can do it, I mean, where is the discipline in all of this? You could just keep on coming up with crazy ideas till the cows come home. Well, that's the one thing, of course, neither side of this uh, election campaign is is uh, putting its flag up on MM&T. No. So we have this... They're um, all saying it's going to be paid for somehow, absolutely. They, 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 they all think, both, both sides are saying you've got a tax to cover it and they're both giving their a taxation plan. So in a political sense, MMT is not part of this particular yeah. election. The issue of discipline is important uh, and it applies on twofold, not just on what how the government spends the money. I mean, one obvious example of MMT is the American military occupation around the planet. Mm. 
Okay. Uh, that's all paid for with American dollars. Uh, they can generate an unlimited amount of it. The scale of the American defence budget is something of the order of, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure, it'd be one farmer to look up for you on another future topic, but it's at least 10% of government spending, I think, and a substantial part of the economy. And nobody ever asks, where, how do we get money for that next uh, nuclear missile or that next uh, cruise missile? It's just appropriated without argument. And that seems to be a trend globally. But they would um, still so be trying to pay for that out of taxes, wouldn't they, in the United States? I mean, they well, are- no, if, 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 no they, 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 it's, they claim it. Again, again, this is what, let's look. I, I hate to bring it back to this, mate. I really do. But let's look at the empirical data. <laughs> And you want to talk go, facts. I want to talk facts, yeah. That is and, what is. I mean, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll be careful. I'll even get my facts from the White House. If you go search for White House, uh, White House data on the web, you will find an excellent store of a, a, a range of extra uh, sources of data, in particular the United States surplus since uh, last time I checked it was 1900. But uh, it's, it's called historical tables at the White House. And if you go there, um, you'll see <clears throat> summary of receipts, outputs, and surplus of deficits, 1789 to 2024. And then as percentage of GDP, 1930 to 2024, um, 2024 obviously being the end of the next budget period. Uh, I have seen, previously I've seen, uh, I've taken data from the first table and divided by GDP to get a series from 1900 till now, which is 120 years long. And I think maybe, just maybe an economist might agree that 120 years is close to the long run. Mm. Okay. You, you, can the ta- average, you can take a trend from that, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The average surplus for the last 120 years has been minus 2.4% of GDP. If you mm. take out funding the world wars, which, of course, were an enormous, uh, the deficit hit as much as 30% of GDP in one year, it's about 2.2%. So, in other words... For 120 years, the American government... has been getting further and further into debt in that case. No, the government's been financing itself quite effectively. Well, well, you know, this has been the American century. Right. And if if you believe all the people who say you've got to have hard money, the the past century, the American century, got to have hard money, you know, everything will all be ruined if we have fiat currencies that don't maintain their value, et cetera, et cetera. During that period, America became... The world superpower, and as at the end of it, is still the world superpower. And I think it's going to lose that status sometime in the twenty third, twenty second century. Um, but um, well, actually, sorry, the, you can the see, think we have to wait that long. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, no, 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 this this century, <laughs> sometime in the, the next 20, couple of I, I, couple of uh, decades, yeah. I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, I reckon the next it, 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 it's going to lose its status, but it hasn't mm. for the whole period that it was running a deficit on average of two point two percent of GDP, excluding wars. Right. So, in other words, it's quite sustainable to run that deficit. People say it can't be do it. Look at the, we'll all be ruined. Yeah. But how are they managing those numbers? Because if that's if that's happening every year and it's been going for 120 years, mm. then surely the the accumulated deficit for how they're accounting for for their budget would be absolutely enormous. Now I know it is enormous. Is it that what's been happening? It's just been creeping up year by year. It's about it's running the, the accumulated debt now is running at about 100% of GDP. It was down about 60% before the financial crisis. Uh, so. <clears throat> I mean, I'm actually I'm just realized I can actually use this now, this new data to get figures for the American uh, surplus as a percentage of GDP right back to 1789. So mm. I'll do that after we finish chatting. But um, it, it, it can run this indefinitely, and that's the point of MMT. So long as your currency is accepted in its political realm, uh, you can run a deficit of any scale. It's a question of what that scale does to your economy. Yeah. Now, one of my rules of thumb 
is that the amount of money the government should create every year should be roughly equal to nominal GDP growth divided by the velocity of circulation of money. And lo and behold, that comes out at about 2.5% of GDP. Right. So, okay? be- so because, yeah. So there is some fiscal control. I mean, they're, they're, what are you <clears> saying? Well, I, I, you've had this, every government, uh, you know, for the last 120 years has sworn they're going to get the country back to surplus. Mm. Now, the, two, the two governments that managed to do that were the governments in America in the 1920s, and they were saving for a rainy day. The rainy day, of course, they knew they were going to have called the Great Depression. They ran a surplus of 1% of GDP every year for the pretty much the whole of the 1920s. That was a major causal factor behind the Great Depression because, and this is the point of MMT, when you run a surplus, somebody else is running an identical deficit. Yeah. If the government's getting a surplus of 1% of GDP, the rest of the society is getting minus 1% of GDP. And do you know what? Even if you were to, and this is, I know this annoys you as much as it annoys me, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the idea that you know people talk about the economy being run like a household budget. If you mm-hmm. were to run that analogy, people generally... Uh, spend more than they actually bring in as well. People, you know... Do, yeah, credit. Credit is part of overall expenditure. The question is, don't let credit get out of hand on what we're talking about is don't let government spending yeah, get yeah. out of hand. Yeah. But we should get back to the point, mate. In that sense, I think, you know, this is a discussion for another another point. The real thing is this broadband issue because... Yeah. Well, yeah, because I wanted, to, I wanted yeah. to just lay the foundation behind that because yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it, so the, then you get to the question, if you've got a big project like this, how can you say, and, and you're going to allocate government money, however it's funded... How yeah. can you how can you say whether this is a good idea or not? Well, I think there are some technologies which are pretty bloody obviously a good idea. And well, yeah. for example, I think putting bitumen on the ground when you get building cars as a transportation system makes eminent sense. Yeah, uh, I highly recommend okay, this. I mean, one of my favourite, one of the very few movie series that never disappointed at any stage was Back to the Future. I, I bought all three and watched them again just recently. And when when Marty in Episode Three blasts off in the DeLorean to head back to the eighteen eighties, I think it is to um, to rescue his future, uh, he comes off off the. Um, I think he's actually driving inside a um, uh, drive in drive in cinema. Remember those? Yeah. And he's accelerating towards the screen and gets on the other side. He's on rough country. Um, so the, the state laid out those roads, and actually a large part of it occurred during the 1930s with the building of the um, interstate highway system in the United States. So if you if you know people are needing a technology, then there's sometimes you should provide it as soon as possible. And the question is, is it better done by private interests or is it better done by the state? Mm. And broadband, I think, is just like uh, the road system, is an eminently per- a useful example of that because... Yeah. Mm. Do you know what? Was, we might yeah. differ on on this, and it's 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 a complex argument. But I uh, because there's so many different levels to you know what is what mm-hmm. is broadband, and mm-hmm. the, then the question about should it be free, uh, mm-hmm. and there's different speeds of broadband, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's not like building a road from the beginning and putting bitumen on. In that you know a lot of people already do have a broadband connection. The the fact is some people and that is being provided largely, uh, you know, in, in in more recent years by by the private sector. Yeah, but there are you, you, areas where the private sector doesn't want to go, and that's and that's the issue. So then you get to the question yeah, of yeah, that, well, that's how- the I mean, that, that, and that's like Australia versus um, the UK is an interesting example there because there's large parts of Australia that commercial people would never want to bother going because the cost of the infrastructure overwhelms any potential for profit. And the question is, do you want to have areas of your country where you can't get any uh, you know, yeah. internet reception? 
And the, and question- the answer is if you, if you don't take a holiday in the parts of the country where you can't get reception. Well, yeah. And, then, and you know, we're talking about fixed line rather than mobile. But mobile, because he's talking, you know, the, the Labour approach is, uh, is on fixed broadband and maybe they should be looking at mobile as well. Yeah. But we, but, uh, but yeah. the question is on speed. It's speed and ubiquity, isn't it? They're the two factors. So if you look yeah. at um, twenty-four megabits per second, which you might say is not very fast, but it's actually, you know, for for large parts of the world, that's 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 pretty good. Ninety-five over ninety-five percent of the British population now has speeds what is classified as super fast broadband, twenty-four megabits per second plus. In other, that basically means it's uh, uh, the technology is almost certainly going to be fibre to the cabinet. So you have those green boxes at the end of your street, and depending on how far you are away from it, that'll determine the speed because the last bit into your home is copper, and very often that it's it's a lot more than twenty-four. It, it could be uh, 60, 60 or sixty-five megabits per second. Mm. So ninety-five percent of the population has access to that right now. Seven. Most of that, well, 76% of that came from commercial rollouts. And then there was £1.6 billion of, of the broadband delivery program, which boosted that up from 76 to 95%. So government money was put in to help um, uh, commercial money. But mm. that only got to 95%. Then they're stuck because, um, you know, the rest of it is difficult to do. So you need satellite or you need to use other technologies or it's just too expensive and then you've got the question is 24 or even 65 fast enough and do you want to go to the to the next level hmm. so i'm i'm sort of thinking that you know we've got quite a way in the uk yeah, yeah, with yeah. I mean, commercial operators doing it and we and yeah. we and the national broadband network in australia even though the idea behind it might have been quite good has obviously been very expensive and hasn't really boosted speeds a great deal in fact well, it's that, been a disaster that's a classic case of political interference from uh, people we both know. Mm. Okay, Malcolm Turnbull and bloody Tony Abbott, uh, who completely stuffed that over. So, like, uh, that, 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 this is a good uh, general point because the issue comes down to, um, in my opinion, whether this, the overall rollout is something which will work with the private sector alone. Um, and, and what the costs of the competition side of the, of the private sector are, because people often don't factor in the, 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 the marketing side. They assume the typical neoclassical idea, there's no marketing necessary because everybody knows everything. Garbage. Uh, the firms put an enormous amount of money into marketing, and that then be, that, that become part of the, the base price you've got to pay to even get the service in the very first place. So if you were starting with a virgin field, uh, and there were no um, large rival private systems on the horizon that could do the job as well or better, then I wouldn't bow, bow us in favour of the state rolling it out. Um, but the case is at the moment that's probably no longer true about broadband for a couple of reasons. But I'll give you my favourite example of, of the free, not that we with the free provision of, of, of broadband, but it was a compulsory provision of T100, T, you know, you know, can you explain yeah. what a T100 standard is to the listeners? Well, it's just a, it's a, a fat pipe is what they call it in the industry, isn't it? So it's just a, uh, it's a, uh, just a, a very fast connection. So it's like a, yeah. like a hundred gigabit, megabit, yeah. 100 yeah. megabits a second minimum, I think is yeah. the speed. Okay. These, I, I had a, this is the, one of my funny In each direction um, as well, that's the other thing. So it's a, it's bi-directional, a, yeah, yeah. So the rapid speed, no, no different than up, down, download speed. I had a, a member of the, the, the the ex-president, I think he was at the time, of the Communist Party of South Korea decided to come out and spend a sabbatical with me. That was one strange experience, let me tell you. But anyway, uh, when he first arrived, he, he, he didn't like where I first chose. It was too expensive, so I had to find somewhere else to rent a, 
a flat for him, and he wasn't very happy with that one either. Um, but anyway, the first thing he did, he got his laptop out, plugged in an Ethernet cable, and started walking around the walls trying to find a place to plug the Ethernet cable in. And I finally had to say, excuse me, what are you looking for? And he said, internet connection. And I said, well, we don't have Ethernet here. He said, what? Yeah. We don't have Ethernet. It turned out that the, the South Korean government, not the North Korean, the South Korean government had somehow, I've got, I'd love to check the history of this, told the telecommunications companies, the, the nascent ones in South Korea, um, that they didn't care how it was done, but they had to make sure every home in the country had a T100 connection. Now, I sort of think that had some sort of role in, in developing the evolution of Samsung. Mm. Okay. Korea has really rocketed ahead well, uh, in the last I'm, 20 years yeah. with that technology. Well, if you look at uh, average speed, so in the UK, the average speed of a broadband connection is 64 megabits per second. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's there are worse places in the world. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Australia. Uh, but <laughs> which, uh, which is still even, you know, that's the crazy thing. Even with the National Broadband Network rollout, Australia is still uh, well down the list. But Singapore, uh, South Korea, as you mentioned, Hong Kong, Taiwan, the US, France, all well over double what we have in the UK. Even Spain has an average speed of 118 megabits per second. So yeah. what's happened in the UK is it's stalled. And it is because it's being done by the private sector, but I don't think it means the public sector necessarily needs to step in. Because what's happened is you've got one dominant player in uh, BT with the Openreach division that has rolled out these fibre to the cabinet connections, which are good enough for most people, and they are just sweating the asset. Why would you build on top of that? Why would you extend the the fibre connection? That's the same sort of thing with the railways in the UK. I mean, I've just been to a couple more railway, railway trips in the UK in the last few weeks, and oh my god! I mean, if I want to go to a museum, I want to be—I want to know that I'm going to a museum. The the, the train pieces, the carriages, everything uh, is just so primitive across most of the UK. Because once you privatise the railroads, mm. uh, rather than improving the surface, you sit on the asset and milk it for what it's worth. Yeah, and these carriages, and you know. There's only, there's well, only even a- more, even worse, uh, mm-hmm. why would you invest if you're in a, a franchise which has only got that franchise for a certain number of years before it yeah, gets really advertised? Yeah, it's all insanely badly done. So mm. this it, it, is where ideology gets in the way massively. And, of course, ideology is what screwed up the Australian rollout. Uh, South Korea was very pragmatic. We just want everybody to have this newest connection. You do it. There's problems. Obviously, there's been government funding involved as well uh, for the organisation, but the most, quite possibly they were funded to do it according to the government rules. But, for example, in Australia, you might, you might remember back with the rollout of cable TV. Yeah. What did the bloody hawk government do at the time? They wanted to have competition for the rollout. So what did we have? Two companies. Yeah. Drilling going, two. Going down two, the same streets. Down the same street. This is like your, your analogy about uh, ice cream vendors on a beach being right yeah, next yeah. to each other. Exactly and the same the, thing happened. They, they but, rolled but it, out everywhere yeah. together because they didn't want to give the other one a uh, a, a, a monopoly in their own area. So they went out. Yeah, but on top well. of that, they also did not roll out other areas, which, I mean, my, my then wife was uh, had a good friend who lived over in um, – uh, the the hills routes, districts of Sydney, five-acre properties everywhere, very wealthy people. Did they roll out the cable there? No, because they were five-acre properties. Yeah, <laughs> it was too, too expensive. Yeah. So they got, we had two sets of cables running in our house in Mar- around our street in Marrickville and zero at our, at our friend's place in the Hills District. So here's the so, thing. So then, don't yeah. you then, doesn't it make sense? Because there's different ways you can subsidise the provision of a service, isn't there? Mm. One is you can give it, you can subsidise, well, three ways really. One is you just say, well, the government's going to do it. But as we, you know, as we've been discussing, maybe the horse has already bolted on that and it becomes too problematic. The, the, the other way is, 
is to say, well, okay, let's let the commercial sector do it and um, and we'll subsidise them. But then you hit the question of, well, who do we subsidise? You know, if there's competing mm. players, who do we give the money to? And the danger is it normally goes to the largest one, which is Telstra in the case of, or was Telstra in the case of mm. Australia and, and, and BT in the UK. Or you say, well, no, let's uh, open it up to whoever wants to do it. And the consumer gets the subsidy and they pay to the company that connects. And that last one seems like the most fair. But, but it, even to- there you get the same nonsense. Again, like mobile mobile phone towers are, are, are clustered where there's the most mobile phone users. Um, you'll, you'll have, you know, multiple uh, mobile towers going up. I don't know the technology completely, but I would not be amazed to find one of those towers could service everybody and you could distribute the towers more equally throughout the country to have a broader a broader system. So there are real tricks and mm. using in, in, in what's the best way to provide any any publicly accessible network good. And this is the important thing about roads, internet and so on. They are network gods. A telephone, the first telephone was useless. Okay, the telephone became valuable when more people connected to the telephone network. Yep. So you had a network effect, which was therefore in the interest of you could you could never if you charge every person for the cost of giving every other person a telephone so that they could speak to you, we wouldn't have telephones. So, so you, do you have- so do then say okay, well we want to reach other parts of the country with yeah. broadband, and we've got a, maybe a few mm. a few providers, and there's not just the big players, the smaller players as well. So how does the government t- deal with that? Do they say, well, okay, we will subsidise you to roll out to these areas if you undergo these, you know, here's here's the stipulations, and and then companies pitch, I guess, and somebody in the government then has yeah. to decide who that's that possible. Money's but the, I mean, this this is, I mean, internet technology is something we should have been talking about pretty much twenty years ago, mm. uh, which is when the Koreans were doing it. I mean, this guy who came out to visit me, I'm I'm talking definitely pre nineteen ninety, um, pre between nineteen ninety six and nineteen ninety nine. Okay, so we are talking at least 20 years ago that the South Koreans did this. Now, if you wait 20 years, then private sector technology can catch up with the public sector. And that is what's happening with telecommunications. This is one thing I'd like to discuss with you. because You probably know you know more about this technology than I do. Musk is putting up that set of, um, I forgot what he's calling his satellites, but the, he intends having 30,000 internet satellites in in orbit around the planet by about 2025. Right. And at, at that point, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how far. Which is fine, fine. Yeah, which is good for geographic coverage, but obviously a pretty lousy service, even low-orbit satellites. You've still got the delay of sending the signal up and bouncing back, so you get very uh, very high latency compared to... But if you have 30,000 of them... Mm. I mean, thirty thousand would mean there's going to be one above you. If you, if you wait, if there's not one above you now, wait a couple of seconds; it'll be there. Right. So you know, I'm not, I think I'm not the, sure we'll be able to yeah. hold the sort of conversation that we're holding now, though, without uh, uh, painful delays. And as you know, it's latency which is always the problem. To yeah. Do. Well, that, that's that's where the, the, where cable makes so much sense, like optical yeah. fiber makes so much sense, because it's highly unlikely we'll ever find a system for bulk transmission of data which is faster than optical fiber. I know, I know some instances where uh, High-frequency trading firms have been pulling out optical fiber and putting in radio between themselves. Yeah, and, so the line uh, of sight, because yeah, and, and because of twice's the speed of light, light. is twice as far. But you can't have radio everywhere, so the only mass solution is optical fiber. Um, so maybe that will be the case. But we're getting to the point where, with remote regions, you may just say, "Look, let's let's subsidize people's cost for a couple of years," or let the rollout happen slowly because the technology has caught up. But and you, you are a firm believer, aren't you, in, in you know things like this that they should be um, managed by the um, 
by the government sector, by the by the public sector. Oh no, it comes but, it's come, it comes down to the, the the how much of a of a network effect are we looking at, and what are what are the cost leading aspects of it? If, if for example, I was a I'm obviously a, a great fan of the space race. I now would not want to see NASA getting all that involved because private companies. Uh, have shown that they've they've absorbed the technology the government laid the foundations for, and they're now doing it better and faster. Because Jeremy Corbyn's sector. plan, though, is to yes, is to in effect nationalise Openreach, that part of the the network arm of BT, and saying, well, like uh, then you hit all the same problems that you had with the national broadband network in Australia, where uh, you then say, well, okay, what about the network that already exists? Well, this we're going to have to the government is going to have to buy that network. From mm. the from the incumbent, and then what about all the other people who've got networks which are now isolated because you've come in and you're providing um, government-sponsored competition? That you then get to the stage where you have to say, well, okay, we're going to have to offer you some sort of compensation, and uh, and then yeah, uh, and then the other way, what happens if you know your cost of providing the service is undercut by uh, other providers because they're only doing the low-hanging fruit, and you've got to do the expensive stuff? You know, there's a million and one questions which have all been tackled by the MBN. I don't know as the MBN as it turned out. The, the, the original idea might have been good, but, uh, you know, at the end of it, Australia is left with uh, some of the most expensive broadband in the world. And an average speed, I've got it here, just hang on one second, 42 megabits per second, 12 years after the NBN I knew was there'd started. be a link with Douglas Adams somewhere in this conversation. <laughs> That's right, the answer to everything, 42. Uh, yeah. It's the 64th fastest in the world, yeah. and God knows how many tens of billions of uh, dollars. Well, that's, I mean, I, that. I blame all that on Tony Abbott and, and Malcolm Turnbull because I know the original plan was optical fire cape, uh, fibre to the to the, to the premise. Yeah. And bloody Abbott insisted that Turnbull sabotage the plan somehow by putting forward something that they could say was cheaper well actually what they what they've got is pretty much what britain's got now so what they're yeah, spending yeah. a lot of money on is delivering what the, actually what the commercial sector has uh, has has delivered in the uk yeah and if you had the if the state sector had done it you'd have where the pills in south in south korea where uh, you plug your plug yourself into a t100 100 megabits per second both both ways or faster so you know i, I think this is the sort of thing which should have been done in the first instance by right. the state the fact that it hasn't though is it the central plan and, what Jamie yeah. Corbyn is now saying? Does it make yeah. sense, or is it? I, I, I'm I'm now ambivalent. I mean, I I would when I when I I would like to know what the capabilities of the of the Starlink. It's, it's the name of uh, of Musk's, Musk's satellite system. What the capabilities that are going to be if you're going to get 100 megabits a second or faster out of that? Yeah, uh, and maybe up to maybe. I'm, well, do yeah. you know what? There's the and there's the thing. You see, if you've got a big project and you and you roll it out, the the goal whether it's done by the private sector or by the public sector, the goalposts moves and and and, in, and yeah. te- the, with technology it can change so there's other things for example one of the big problems with uh, laying out fiber optic is that you've got to and the the stumbling block on any network has been how do you connect it to to people's homes you know who's actually going to yeah. dig up your petunias in the front garden and uh, and are they going to put them back again and that's the sort of stuff that annoys people that you've got to dig yeah, trenches and, and in people's homes but just have it, yeah but, the, but there are alternatives as well like for example having uh, you know uh, mobile coverage very dense mobile networks so you have a well, lamppost in your street you have a dish that goes into yeah. your home you've probably got a wi-fi connection you're probably you know using most of the devices over wi-fi anyway so what's the difference between a wi-fi in your house versus a uh, a, a 5g mobile cell uh, that is located right outside your house, giving yeah. you the capacity. Now, I've, I've, you know, there's I've, I've, million I've and one te- technologies that could be available. 
I've beaten you to the up research here. SpaceX has demonstrated speeds of 610 megabits per second using Starlink, Starlink satellites with the US military. And, they're, and the very first thing they say in their proposal is developing a low latency mm. broadband internet system. So it may well be that this is one case where the original days where it had to be optical fiber to be high quality and high speed and low latency, yeah. those days are now passing. And we're in, we're in a point where a commercial organisation, which is SpaceX, is going to establish something which obviates the need to lay optical fibre. But you fiber. need a lot of spectrum. If, if, you've got a, if, you, if it was a, a lot of dense usage, you'd need a lot of spectrum, wouldn't you? You'd need to, to be able to cater for the gigabytes of stuff that we are now downloading to do I'm, that simultaneously. I'm not sure. I mean, moment. again, this is a technological issue, and it may well be these satellites are designed to have a, you know, a transmission footprint yeah. uh, with a particular frequency and then transmit between themselves at other frequencies uh, and transmit down another location with a, with a you know a, a small frequency band. So what we're so, saying, well, but what we're demonstrating here is mm-hmm. that is it, is it smart then to say, well, let's get a large uh, government organisation to do all of this. Let's take Open Reach, uh, which has been you know trying to organise itself, having been part of a uh, of an of an incumbent provider for so many years, uh, and take them back to to where they were. Or is it better to let the private sector uh, come in and, uh, well, and might be most of my bias on this one is that this given this particular private sector venture, uh, which I have a fair bit of confidence in succeeding, I would say, wait, leave it to the private sector now and let us have satellite-based systems. Yeah. And free. Not quite sure. Not free. This is the bizarre thing about all of this. Why should it be mm. free when we're already, pa- you know, people who have it are already paying for it? And I don't see many people objecting, saying, oh, broadband's expensive. Well, this is partly what, which again, I've checked this, it's interesting with the South Korean story, um, because part of the idea of making it free is to say, do what you want with it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, a lot of people are going to be downloading X-rated videos and, 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 game, and gaming rigs, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but it may also be the state is underwriting the capacity for a private sector organisation to use that as a as a as a, as a you know a low cost part of their own infrastructure to develop an industry like like uh, Samsung has done over time, um, but it, it's also I mean it's partly the income distribution in this country sucks as you know mm. the UK has got probably the most one if not the most unequal income distribution on the planet pretty damn close to it. Well, I think so, the United States does better in that, doesn't it? They've uh, you know they've they've taken income disparity to to the next level but the but the, the ubiquity thing here is important because i it does if you look at um uh, government services for example i mean some people don't use government services online because they wouldn't know how to because they're too old but if you had broadband for everybody and part of it was free then you would be able to say, well, okay, there's some government services which are online, but we also have to provide more expensive alternatives because not mm-hmm. everybody's got access to online. If you had everybody with access to online services, then you could say, well, okay, that is the way we operate from now on because we can, if we if we guaranteed that there will be a reasonable speed internet connection everywhere that's available for free, then let's have almost like a free government network. And then on top of that, you can say, by the way, if you want to go searching for porn or gaming, then you have to pay for that, and, and a commercial provider is going to provide that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, my, my feeling, my issue is, again, about technology is um, are you providing sufficient for what the future uses will be? Yeah. On that front, I mean, the, you and I both have great experience of the classic instance of that uh, in Australia, the, the Sydney Harbour Bridge, which was built, what, what, what is, it, is it six lanes or eight lanes? I think it's eight lanes, isn't mm. it? 
eight lane with two, two, two train lines, a pedestrian and a, and a bicycle side, far beyond the capacity necessary in 1930, but, but Pushfield by, through by Bradfield is essential for the expansion of the city. When he was dead right. Um, so often you've got to say, do, is what we are providing now sufficient for the future? Now, in that sense, the copper-based you know, cable to a, to, a, to a node and copper to the household, no way is that sufficient. Uh, you, that that and that is what the hassle with Australia. It's, it's, it's install an obsolete technology, copying what the UK already has. So at some point, I think that technology will have to be replaced. Now, do you replace it by actually putting in what was the original Australian proposal, which is broadband to the house, or do you say? Uh, we gradually replace it with a satellite system which can reach this, the necessary speeds. Now, 600 megabits a second, megabits a second. We're talking megabits, aren't we, in both cases? Mega, 100 megabits versus yeah, yeah, yeah. bits Six, versus bytes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah megabits per second, yeah. So, okay. so, so, uh, so, so, I'm, on, so I'm on about 70 at, uh, at home. So you're talking about 600, did you say? Which would be yeah, for, that's so 10 yeah. times the speed. Now, yeah. what I think what, what is the, the obvious future need is going to be virtual conferencing or virtual meetings because I think at some point, and this is where the, the um, global warming side of things come in, we're going to get to, for a substantial period of time, international travel will either be banned or too damn expensive for anybody except the ultra-wealthy or the military or the government to undertake. So at that point, if you want to meet somebody overseas, you want to put on a pair of goggles and say, have a, have a chat to them and maybe tactile sensors where you can shake hands with them and so on and so forth. That requires a far higher speed than we have right now. Mm. And it may be that something like the... Um, uh, you know, the, I don't know how the Starlink will work on that front. The speed and the latency, obviously, the issues uh, again. But that sort of need is there. And if you're telling me that 80 or 95 percent of the UK infrastructure currently uses optical plus copper, it's got to be replaced at some point. The um, and look, you know, on that whole collaboration front, I mean, there's a you know, there's huge opportunities there which are very rarely talked about. Which are which are clearly the direction. So I do you know do a bit of video editing from time to time, and the idea that you could uh, you know there's, there's just an example of somewhere where you've got specialist fields. So you might have somebody who's really good at uh, opening title sequences, for example. You might have somebody who's really good at mm. doing audio dubbing, and the, I might have somebody else who's better at uh, getting the you know the the, the colours right, adjusting the colours, and then you might have somebody who's just you know does the which is a bit like me, just doing the you know bog standard. Well, we're going to we're going to splice it here, and uh, you know, and developing the the story, and then you want to narrate it to voiceover stuff. Mm. You know, you could have a team of five or six people who could actually be simultaneously working on the same project uh, using the same file, which would take up a lot of bandwidth, but would get stuff done very quickly, and it could be people all over the world doing that. So, I mean, and the similar similar for for, for uh, mobile surgery, yeah, uh, which has already been tested in some parts of uh, Africa, I think, in India. Um, so, you you want absolute high speed, you want absolute lack of latency for those you don't want to have somebody you moving a knife through your you know, however small the knife might be through your innards and there's a latency between them say stop and the knife actually stopping <laughs> so you know there, there is there are real issues about getting that that correct yeah and it, it, and i think as i said this area i think the private sector might finally have got the upper hand uh, and the uk really should be thinking not about laying it everywhere using optical fiber and making it all free in the current system but getting ready Perhaps to subsidise a movement to a, a high, uh, to a like a satellite satellite based system which has the has the speed and latency covered. Right, but if that's if that's not commercially viable, 
um, then government money has to go into it. Then you get into the danger where the government is then saying, "Well, this money is for this technology," and that was that became the problem as we, you know, as you talked about in Australia, where the government said, "Well, okay." This is the technology. You've got uh, you've got uh, politicians or civil servants determining how th- how a technology is going to be rolled out. Something which they've you know got no expertise in. They try and acquire it, but that's not their bread and butter. And mm-hmm. that, that that's the danger, isn't it? How do you determine? And again, which gets back to the original question, where you know if you've got you know uh, uh, no limitations on government money, uh, and to the point where you've got too much money in supply, and then you get hit inflation problems. But up to that point. How do you determine, you know, what the money is used for? When you're looking at things like this, which are not a decision you necessarily want the public sector to make. Well, I, I want engineers making virtually every decision. Yeah. And on this front, I'd say, okay, what's the engineering answer right now? What is the best technology to go for? And I only get the bean counters in after that uh, if, if, you know, one technology is 10 times the cost of another. Um, and, and unfortunately, we're given the bean counters first first bracket this, and we get garbage systems like Australia has, and which apparently the UK has as well, which cannot grow, which cannot expand to the capacity that's necessary in the future. Now, that is a failure of politics, and it's actually the right-wing side of government that made that failure, not the left-wing. Mm. It was a conservative government in both cases who made those decisions. Well, so, I, yeah, uh, I think you can build on the- It's a way to bash the Labor Party. It's something of, you, you can bash the liberals, so-called liberals in Australia, and the Tories in the UK. UK for making the wrong uh, technological choice. So uh, just on this question about public versus private then, if you look at uh, the, the idea of uh, making nationalising, renationalising BT's open reach division, they make uh, £5.1 billion in revenue. So that's wholesale revenue. That is them providing their network to retail providers who then obviously uh, pass on the service, add value and charge to the customers. Uh, so that's what uh, the, the Labour Party is saying should be given away for free. That five point one billion in revenue plus all those other uh, revenues from from retail providers. But here's the interesting thing: Openreach has got an EBITDA uh, of almost fifty percent. So, which is quite wow, yeah. So, and then of that other half, obviously that's you know that's before amortisation. So there'll be the other half of that would be include. You know, capital expenditure, you'd imagine, would be a big chunk of that. But their their annual capital expenditure is only $1.6 billion. So they make $5.1 billion in revenue, and they invest $1.6 billion in CapEx in a company that's supposedly in a network rollout phase. That doesn't sound very much, does it? It sounds like the same thing at the train lines. We've got a monopoly. We're going to rip off the public in the process and screw what the politicians say, yeah. uh, which is what's fueling the anti-privatisation uh, uh, push that's you know you can feel it in the UK these days because it's the country that's done the most to privatise and rather than making everything better it's made everything expensive and often more old fashioned because why bother um, uh, you know updating the technology if you have the monopoly it's it's the it's the failure of applying a cardboard cutout intersecting supply and demand curve analysis to complicated industries where those concepts don't apply in the very first instance. So then when you look at those numbers, because that really is an example of sweating an asset, isn't it? <laughs> That's like, yeah, yeah we've, uh, we will uh, invest the minimum to make it look like we're doing something to uh, move, the, uh, move the industry forward. But really, uh, $5.1 billion in revenue, if that's a network arm, you'd be expecting that they would be having, I don't know, $4.9 billion in uh, CapEx <laughs> yeah. or something similar to that, where you've got some operational costs, obviously. But, I mean, so then maybe then that becomes, if you look at that, that then becomes an argument to say, well, okay, if you're not going to behave, 
maybe we do need to renationalize you. And that's what I think is a large part of the passion because people are saying, look at these numbers, you're ripping us off. Mm. I mean, and, and this is again, uh, the, the cost of marketing, uh, which once you have competition, you have marketing. And the cost of marketing can be as big as or greater than the cost of a bureaucracy. This is the thing which is left out in, in people when they make the comparisons, factoring, you know, private provision versus government. They say, oh, look, private sector will do it more cheaply. Yeah, and it'll pay the managing director $30 million a year. It'll, um, it'll have a, a marketing budget twice as much as it puts into the actual infrastructure itself, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the competition doesn't work because the other, other buggers doing exactly the same thing. So... Um, is one of these areas where I would just want to say, let's get an engineering costing of all this sort of stuff. Uh, work out, is it, this is a sort of network benefit that is far beyond the private benefit, and that applies to education, telecommunications, transport, health. Um, then in that situation, it's either public provision or it's public financing of privates with incredible control over the um, over the expenditure and no marketing. You know, you, you're a customer of the government in that case. You're providing... Uh, given a government budget, you're doing the you're doing the rollout. Sounds to me like you're saying that we should have a plan. <laughs> we uh, should think about technology. <laughs> yeah, this, what I'm sick of is is 19th century textbooks being used to manage 21st century technology, mm. and that's what's going on here. The supply and demand bullshit. Uh, pardon me, swearing on a family show, uh, means that this the, the, the mental virus that gets people's mind is always going to be better for the perfect. Com- you have perfect competition in the private sector. You don't have perfect competition in anything. It's mathematically impossible to begin with, but even so in terms of the scale, uh, the, you know, a large number of industries are dominated by four major players. Uh, you're working in a world where there's market power uh, to burn and that market power comes with the, with the marketing overheads and the internal expenditures of a, expenses of a large uh, profit-oriented bureaucracy uh, with, with hierarchy inside, which absorbs a large amount of the cost as well, uh, you're not necessarily going to do it more cheaply if you, if you go from a public system to a private. It really comes down to what is more effective um, in, in, getting, in, in getting it out there initially. Is it, is it something with a huge network benefit? And the telecommunications and education and health uh, the answer is yes, overwhelmingly. It's a, there's a huge network effect. Let's provide the money publicly, but work out the best way to do it uh, in terms of actually doing the installation and the uh, and the and the up, upgrading. And on that front, I mean, with the, the railroad comparison, I, I think state provision wins hands down. All you have to do is compare privatised UK to the um, publicly owned uh, European Union train lines. Mm. I'm still getting over the idea that you think this is a family show. I'm just imagining you know, <laughs> mum, dad, and the uh, the three kids sitting around the fireside with the kids saying, oh, come on, let's just one more episode of the Debunking Economics podcast. Before, <laughs> well, no, it's time for bed. Up. Time for bed. You must not have any more economics tonight. <laughs> to, yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good talk anyway, Steve. We'll catch you again next week. Okay, mate, bye. December the 12th is the uh, date of the election in the UK. How many more crazy ideas can they dream up? I think they just make them up the day before, or perhaps the morning uh, of, the, of, of the press conference. They decide something completely new. Uh, <laughs> it'll all be over soon, thank God. That's it for the Debunking Economics podcast for today. I'm Phil Dobby. He's Steve Keen. Back again next week. Thanks for listening. Mom 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.